Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the Christian family that you have drawn us into. And we thank you for Kate and for the safe delivery of Joshua. And we pray for your blessing upon that family. We thank you for your promise, Lord, that you've said wherever two or three are gathered in your name, then you are in the midst of them. We praise you that you are in the midst of us this morning. And we pray that you'd help us worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. I would really like some people to help me this morning because we in, when you guys go out for your groups, the adults are going to be looking at um, a letter from John about love and how part of it is about how love links to obedience. And there's a really great parable that Jesus said. And as the adults, we're not going to have time to look at that parable. So I thought as young people, it'd be really good if we could show it to the adults by acting it out. And we'll think about it a little bit as well. Okay. Now, this, this summer, I would like to show you just three pictures if they're up on the screen. That'd be fantastic. At the beginning of the summer, I think when I came to you last, it had just happened. My son had got married. And here he is. Isn't he a handsome chap? You can tell he looks after his dad. And that's his wife, Laura. So that's Tim and Laura. And they had just got married. And the parable that we're going to act out with Jesus is about a wedding. Well, waiting for a wedding to happen. Okay? So that's Tim and Laura. And in the Bible, the parable is about the bridesmaids. Do we have a picture of the bridesmaids? There they are. You can see Beth there. Embarrass her. And Laura's friends. Don't they look lovely? But you know, last time I was here, I just had this distinct memory that there's loads of boys. Which is great. It's really exciting. It's really good to go to church with loads of young men. So, I thought we might change the parable a little bit and make it the parable of the groomsman. Because Tim, on the next picture, he had four young men, very handsome young men, to act as his groomsmen. Now, there was the best man, Robbie, that is the one with his mouth open. And if you know Robbie, he's always got his mouth open. And then there was three others, um, Sam and Alex and Rob. And they were his groomsmen. They kind of looked after him, made sure he was at the right place on the right time, remembered the ring, you know, patted him on the back, encouraged him all day. So we're going to have the parable of the bridegroom and the bridegroomsman. Okay, right. Thank you very much for the pictures. That's great. And this is a story that Jesus told. And I could really do with about 11 people. It doesn't matter if we don't get that many. We don't have to have that many. But if we've got that many, that's good. Right. What do you wear at a wedding? What did they all have, all have on, those men? Ties, they did. They all had ties on. Right. I've been very busy this morning tying all these ties, but we wouldn't have time to do it in church. Who would like to be the guy that gets married? Anybody wants to get married? You don't really have to, it's just to pretend. Just to pretend. Would you like to pretend to get married? Thank you very much. There you go. You're pretending to get married. Wonderful. So you stand out because you've got the red tie, whereas everybody else has kind of got bluey, purpley ones. Okay? And you've got some people to help you get ready for this wedding. Would you like anybody else want to come? Do you want to come? 
No, you just, no, okay, wonderful. Thank you very much for your help. Can you put some on, Beth? That's fantastic. That looks very smart, good. Oh, I'll give you the one that um, my husband wore at Tim's wedding. That's very nice, nice bright blue. Very good. Oh, you've got the right colour shirts on, guys. Well done, impressed. Would you like to be in it? No? Oh, yes. <laughs> He's got it the wrong one. Beth got it. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else? Girls, do you want to? You don't have to. You can do. Would you like to play? No. Okay. Right. Fine. We've got enough. That's fine. Last chance. Anybody else? No. Right. One. Can you just bung them in there. Thanks. Great. Okay. Here we go then. Right. We're going to do. We're going to start at the back of the church. Okay. So, can you, you are the bride's groom, bride, sorry, you are the groom, and you have got these guys to help you, okay? So, can you just start at the back of the church, you've got to look after him, wherever he goes, or you've got to look after him, okay? Right, Jesus told a story that once there was a man who was going to get married, and he was preparing for his wedding day. And he came to the house where he was preparing. And his groomsmen came with him. Okay. And he said to his groomsmen, I've got to go and I've got to get my suit. I've got to go and get my watch on. I've got to go and do my hair. You guys wait here and I will come and get you when the wedding starts. Okay? And I want you to be preparing things. You could maybe make sure that the lamps are all ready because it, wasn't, it was before electricity was then ready, so you could make the lamps. You make sure you guys look ready, your shoes are polished, everything's good. So the, the guy that was getting married said goodbye, and he said, I'll be back soon. And off he went. You can go, that's fine, great, just go and hide there. Okay. Now, to begin with, they were all getting ready and doing what the bridegroom had told them. They were getting ready, they were getting their lamps ready, they were polishing their shoes. But you know what young men are like? This soon got pretty boring, and two of them decided they would go and sit over there, and they started by playing on their phones, playing on their phones a bit, and... These two kept, kept getting ready. They made sure that they were totally ready for when the groom came back. But then their batteries started running out and they started falling asleep. And they fell asleep. Okay. And they were fast asleep. They were really bored of waiting for the bridegroom and they were not doing what he told them. And when they were fast asleep, the groom came back. He said, it's time to go. And the two helpers, the two groomsmen, went with them. Do you want to come in over here and have your wedding party over here? Wonderful. Thank you very much. And they were having great celebrations at the wedding. Okay, lots of good food, lots of worship, lots of wonderful things, music, everything. Okay. Now, of course. Yeah, a bit of dancing. Of course, 
An hour or two later, these two wake up. Stand up, come into the middle. Yeah, they looked a bit dishevelled, yeah. And where is everybody? Everybody's gone, okay? And they said, maybe the party's already started. Yeah, we're missing out on the party. So they go to the party and knock on the door. Yeah. And the groom comes to the door, opens the door, and says, no entry. You were n- I don't know who you are. You were not doing what I wanted you to do when I needed you. And he shuts the door on them. Right, should we give them a clap? They did a great job. And do you know what? You're now stuck in those ties forever, aren't you? Brilliant. Well done. Thank you. That's great. You did a great job. But that's a really scary story from Jesus, isn't it? Because what Jesus was saying was that if you are going to be my friends, if you're going to follow me... You've got to do what I tell you. And right through the Bible, Jesus links loving him with obeying him. And we see it again in the sermon that the adults have. John says, if you love God, you've got to do what he says. You can't pretend you love God and yet do the opposite of what God wants you to do. It doesn't hang together. And that's what Jesus was telling us in that story. You have been working through the letter of 1 John. I think you did some at the early part of the summer and then you had a break. Is that right? And now you're back on track. Looking at the last couple of chapters of the first letter of John. And today we're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 24. And the key verse in this passage has been right in front of you for, for probably has that been up several weeks no one knows do they I wonder how long that's been there but it's a great verse isn't it a year or so yeah that's great it's a really good verse so that's the central verse of what we're looking at today but I do believe that someone is going to come and read thank you thanks very much This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts and rest 
at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Thank you very much. We praise God for his word. We pray that he will speak to us through it later on this morning. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to the letter that you've been studying, 1 John, we're looking at chapter 3, verse 11 to 24. And we've got a few slides just to help us keep focused with some of the Bible verses that I'll be mentioning up on it. Thank you very much, John. That's great. So you've been working through this wonderful letter where John is calling his congregation, the people that he's in charge of pastorally, to love. And throughout the letter, he binds together that our love for God and our love for one another. He says they can't be separate. We can't be just people who worship God and say they love God without loving each other. And this passage today is the centre. It's the centre of the letter. I I counted out the verses. It's virtually the centre of the letter, literally. But it's the centre of John's message as well. He's kind of summing it up and putting his foundation right at the middle of his letter. And I'm going to break it up into three bits, of course. The first four verses are where we see that love is a Christian characteristic right from the beginning of the Bible, right through. Love is a Christian characteristic. And then the next four verses, we see how our love has got to be sacrificial and practical. And then finally, the last four verses, is what we were talking about with the children, how love is intrinsically linked to obedience. So if we have the slide up that says, love a Christian characteristic, that would be fantastic, wonderful, great. John starts, in the beginning, this is the message you heard, we should love one another. Love one another, John says, and this is not new, you've heard it from the beginning. This biblical principle, right from creation... Right through the Old Testament, right through the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Remember what Moses told the people as they were about to enter the promised land. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourselves. The two are linked, loving God and loving one another. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I do love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I do worship him. I do follow the laws. And Jesus said, sell what you've got and love your neighbour. Give to those in need. And it was too much for him. He had 
that part of relationship with God, what he thought was right, but it wasn't right because he wasn't reaching out to one another. And in the passage here that we're looking at this morning, John uses the example of Cain, the son of Adam and Eve. And he should have been his brother's keeper. It's a hard phrase, isn't it, to understand, but it means that he should have been responsible. He should have had a sense of responsibility for Abel, his brother. But he failed to be his brother's keeper. He was jealous of him, and so he killed him. He hated him. He failed in his love. And because he failed to love his brother, his worship to God was unacceptable. And we can find that story if you want to read it at home in Genesis chapter 4. And just like the parable of the ten bridesmaids or brides group of groomsmen, that shakes us to the core, doesn't it? Because what God is saying, right from the beginning, right through Jesus' parables, and again here at the end of the Bible is that if we are not loving one another, then our worship to God is unacceptable to him. And it certainly challenged me this week, as I have been preparing that. To love God and to glorify God, we need to be loving each other. And of course we know that this is Jesus' teaching. Not just in the parables, but in Jesus' great discourse, which we see here in John 13. And I love this phrase, and I think as churches we need to start working out what it means for us. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. People will know about Jesus if we love each other. That's what Jesus is saying. And if we look at history and find out when the church was growing its mo- the most in our country and in Western Europe, we, well, in Europe generally, we find that the church grew an awful lot in the first century. But then it grew again, particularly in Western Europe, in the 1600s and in the 1700s in Britain and in America. Now, they were times of great revival But if you actually look at what was happening practically in the church, you find evidence of people really loving one another, of giving their money freely to help one another, of selling property. We know that Barnabas sold a field and and others in the New Testament sold their property to help out other Christian brothers and sisters that were in need. They ate together. They visited each other in prison. They had prayer meetings for one another. And if you read the New Testament or if you read the letters of the Puritans or the Methodists, you can sense this deep love that the Christians had for one another. People were attracted to the churches because it was a place of love. And they found God through initially being drawn to this place of love. And that's what Jesus said would happen. People will know you are my disciples as you love one another. And today we live in a time when people are still longing and searching for acceptance and for a loving community. 
And so we need to pray that our churches, your church here in Cottenham, my church in Bury St Edmunds, will be a place where people will find love and acceptance. And as they do, they will find God. So that is John's first point. That loving one another is kind of crucial in order to worship God and to love him. The second point is that when we do love one another, it's no good just doing it in words. It has to be practical and it has to be sacrificial. Don't love one another with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. How do we know what love is? We know what love is by looking at Jesus. And this is where the verse that's on your banner comes into its own, the central verse of John's letter. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. This summer holidays, I've had a chance to read a bit more than normal, and I've read a book by Tim Keller, who is a pastor of a a really um, rapidly growing church in New York. And he was writing a book about the, the parable, The Prodigal Son. And he says it should be The Lost Sons, because both sons are lost. And he says how easy it is for those of us in churches to be like the older son, to become judgmental and negative, legalistic. And Tim Keller says a really um, interesting thing in the book. He says, if you've been in the church a long time and you find yourself getting negative and legalistic, keep looking at the sacrifice of Jesus. He says that's the way to motivate yourself to be full of love and grace. Keep looking at the motivation of the love of Jesus. And then when I was reading this passage, I realised where Tim Keller had got that from. He's got it from 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. If we find we're getting a bit stayed and in a rut, look again at Jesus. Contemplate his amazing sacrifice. The fact that he was willing to go through pain and separation from his father. That he suffered the hurt of rejection of his friends and the humiliation from the soldiers and the crowd. That in a spiritual sense, he became sin for each one of us. As we look again at the love that Jesus has for us, that will be our motivation to be a loving person ourselves and to allow our love to be costly, sacrificial and practical. John says we should be people with a spirit of generosity. He continues in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, then, of course, he should sell his possessions and give to them. He should have pity on them, John says. Jesus showed the example of how to sacrifice and practical love, how to show practical love, by washing his disciples' feet. I put the passage up on the screen. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's. And the NIV um, 
finishes it in a lovely way, does it? So you will be blessed if you do these things. But the message puts it more bluntly. It says, go and do it. And I quite like that. Jesus is saying, you know what to do. Practically, go and love someone. Go and do it. Get on with it. And we need to apply that passage to our own setting. We're not going to be called this week to wash anyone's feet. Highly unlikely. But here in East Anglia in September 2013, we do need to work out how the church can be loving. I've thought of some churches that I know, that I've got friends at around the country, and things that they are doing. A friend of mine goes to church just outside Sheffield, and they have a system of lifts for people, for the elderly people particularly, but anyone in the church that needs a lift, and for the people in the community as well. There's a church in Manchester that regularly do a litter pick. And we have done that in our church in Bury St Edmunds as well. Gone onto the estate and picked up the litter just to show that we love the estate and that we're interested in that community. My son's church in Durham, they do people's gardens. Again, they go onto one of the estates in Durham that's a bit run down and where people just aren't coping And one of the things that easily goes, we know it ourselves, is your garden. You just can't cope with life and you really haven't got time to do your garden. And it perhaps gets you depressed that as you go out every day you see this garden that's totally out of hand. And every June in my son's church they spend a fortnight going and clearing out everybody's garden, making them look beautiful. It's just a practical thing to show that estate on Gilesgate in Durham that the church cares for them and that they're going to do something practically to care and help. You will have heard of churches that make meals for people, have a system that make meals for people who are bereaved or ill or just had a baby. We all have visiting schemes in our churches. We need to work out what Jesus is calling us to do here in Cottenham. What is the equivalent of the feet washing? And then... We need to do it. As Jesus said, just as I have done it, you need to do it. We need to work out what is practical so that our love can be sacrificial, costly, and not just words, but action. And then finally, in the last four verses, John reminds us that love is linked to obedience. He says in verse 24, those who obey God's commands live in him and he in them. And of course this is Jesus' teaching. We saw it in the parable that the children acted out for us. And in many other occasions in Jesus' teaching, we've just put one of the verses up on the screen. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. That biblical principle that goes right through, that if we say we love God, then we must love one another. And if you flick over to the next page, in chapter 4, John sums it up in verse 20 and 21. If anyone says I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. 
So it's a challenging passage, isn't it? And John knows that. He knows that. Because he says in verse 20, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. It's a challenging passage and we're going to face this dilemma because we know that God wants our full love, our wholehearted love, and that we need to love one another, but we know that we will fail. And John knows that we will fail and our hearts will condemn us and tell us, oh, but we don't love sacrificially, we don't love practically, we put ourselves first. And so he encourages us that we can have confidence before God, he says in verse 21. And why can we have that confidence? Because he asks us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. God knows that we're going to fail. He knows that we can't sort of gird up our loins and say, right, this week I'm going to be loving. It doesn't work. It might work a little bit, but it doesn't work. It won't suddenly become, Carol Richardson won't become suddenly the perfect loving teacher and mother and wife just because I want to. I will go wrong. But the good news is that we are saved by grace and that God can change us to make us more loving. And so he finishes the passage, if we just have the last screen. He finishes the passage by reminding us that we are people filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, this is how we know that Jesus lives in us. We are filled by the Spirit he gave us. We can't make ourselves more loving, but God can. His Holy Spirit can grow within us the fruit of love. And so our prayer this week must be, Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. Show me how to be practical in my love, in the things that I can do to glorify you by practically loving my neighbour. And I don't know whether you have a prayer meeting this week or when you gather to pray together, but when you do, your prayer as a church must be, Lord, make us loving. Make your church loving by filling us with your Holy Spirit, by growing the fruit of love within us at Cottenham Church. Help us know how to work out that washing the feet in Cottenham. Help us to be loving people. John reminds us that love is central. We're so easily distracted, aren't we, by arguments about doctrine, by events that are happening in the church, by meetings. But John says, no, love is what's going to make us stand out to non-Christians. Remember what Jesus said about that's how they will know you are my disciples? Love, the Christian characteristic that should be practical and sacrificial, needs obedience and we can't change ourselves but praise God through the blessing of his Holy Spirit he will grow and develop that fruit of love in us individually and as a church together let's pray about the things that we've just been listening to from John's letter let's bow our heads and pray together Amen 
let's um, encourage one another by sharing the words of the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.